Welcome to Maestros On Air, presented by the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra, recorded at Maestros Cafe, located at the Brevard Central Library and Reference Center in beautiful Cocoa, Florida. Maestros On Air is a discussion of culture, news events, and life on the Space Coast, and highlights the music concerts, and personalities of the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra. Today's show features President of the Symphony Board, Eric Lee. Now your host, SESO Director of Communications, Bill Trudeau. Top of the morning to you. Ah, top of the morning to you, Bill. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I really like those new glasses you've got. You do? <laughs> You're looking really good. Yeah? Had, really good. Had, had you put those glasses on, you know, like 30 seconds ago, we would have had time to adjust. But <laughs> the fact that you put them on just as we were starting the show, you took everybody aback. Is this you going to be a superhero? What is this? <laughs> it's a very dangerous show this morning. I was going to say, it looks like there's going to be some flash. They're safety glasses. <laughs> I know what it is. I, I know why you have those on. I notice uh, your boyish charm is uh, coming out, and it's probably the foppish hair you have. You need a haircut. Yeah. Yes. And you're putting those glasses on so you don't get poked in the eye by the shears. You are correct, sir. Well, good morning. This is great. Good morning. Eric, Jeremy. Nice to be here. Happy to be why, here. Why don't you introduce our uh, special guest? I was just going to say, why don't you introduce our special guest? I can I, do I'd that. like to say something first, if I may. All right. Lawrence Welk Show. Ah, there you go. It's a little hint. It is a hint. I'd like to introduce our special guest, Don Staples. How are you doing this morning, Don? Thank you, um, and thanks for uh, having me here. It's fun. Enjoying uh, meeting all of you folks. I've been looking forward to having you on ever since we started the show. So, <laughs> Really? Oh, yeah. This is going to be great. <laughs> me, too. Okay. Ever since he mentioned it. Yeah. He kind of kept it under wraps for a little bit, but then, seriously, one day he's like, Don Staples. I'm like, huh, I don't know that name. Who is that? First trombone <laughs> from the Lawrence Welk Show. Yeah, well, that's that was it. I was excited. <laughs> Seriously, I, you know, I think everybody, unless you're a kid, everybody has watched Lawrence Welk. If your parents watched it when you were young, that meant you watched it. Absolutely. That's exactly right. No matter who you are. So I did, I, and I, I liked the show. I really loved it. I thought it was great. I still watch it on occasion when it comes on. That's amazing. I, I was just saying earlier that uh, I joined the show in 65, and that's the year it went color. Right. right. And since that time, through all the gyrations of, you know, cancellations and all the different syndications and all that, the show has never been off the air, even to this day. Yeah, that's amazing. So Yeah, I think that's got to be, uh, that show and I Love Lucy are probably the only two shows that could say that. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Well, we have some show lined up. Don, excuse me just a moment. You have to take care of a little bit of business, but um, we have a lot of stuff. It's an action-packed show. We're very, very happy that you are here. Um, we have uh, a concert series that we just ended this past weekend. It's a three-concert concert series, America the Beautiful. Yes, I was just finished up. Yeah. Uh, very hot. Very hot. And when you said hot, I swear, I thought you meant the band was really cooking. Well, the I, orchestra was really on fire. Well, actually, the band was really cooking <laughs> in Vero Beach. Yeah. But then in literally at the Scott Center and then the next day at Riverside, the air conditioning wasn't cutting the mustard. I was there. It was even hotter on Sunday. Wow. We were dying. Well, back to our special guest. All right. Back to our special guest. So, Don, you know, you were born probably at a very early age. Uh, where, <laughs> he does that to everybody. Don't I feel do that bad. to everybody. Where where did you grow up? Well, it's uh, I was born in Billings, Montana. Oh, it's very and, cold in Montana. Oh, tell me. And uh, by the time I was three, mm -hmm. we moved to California. Okay. And by the time I was ten, we moved to Montana. Again. Oh, so you moved um, <laughs> from Montana to California and then back to Montana. Right. Okay. And then back to California. Well, so what are you guys, like commuters? Or what are, <laughs> yeah. What right. was going on there? Yeah, that's a, yeah. Long, that's a yeah. long way back and forth. Right. My memory of Billings, Montana was many years ago, 
I moved to Anchorage, Alaska and drove the whole way. You drove to Anchorage? Yep. From, wow. te- from from Texas to Alaska. Oh, my goodness. We could do a show just about that. <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah we, probably so. But I remember one evening, a handful of days out of Texas, uh, we pulled into Billings, Montana and had dinner. And I remember commenting, wait, we're in Montana. Where are all the mountains? And then after dinner, we get in the car and drive west and a couple of hours later we end up uh going over the continental divide near butte and thinking i i found the mountains right, right. <laughs> they're yes, right here right. Yeah. yeah that's where they are right there yeah the uh the eastern part of montana is flat and kind of uninteresting but uh as you go further to the west it's more beautiful those buildings in like the eastern part or the western it's more eastern central. Eastern central. Yeah. Montana, California, Montana, Cal- California. California. So then that, when did you start um, getting involved in music in, with the trombone and everything? Well, when I was uh, in uh, elementary school in mm-hmm. California, mm-hmm. Um, the um, my my parents were both in music. Okay. My mother was a violinist and piano player. My father played everything by ear. Anything okay. with strings on it, he could play. Really. So um, I felt very intimidated by him all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to take up something he couldn't play. Something that so, didn't have strings. Right. <laughs> so, and he could even get a sound pretty good out of a saxophone. Really? So I brought a trombone home, and he couldn't get a sound out of it. Oh, then you figured so this is what I thought, I'm going to okay, do. Okay, that's, that's where I'm going. <laughs> so that's what made you, that's what helped you to decide. Well, that that and uh, the guy across the street uh, was a, a trombone player. He was a mm-hmm. young professional and sounded great. I used to sit down on the, on the front porch and listen to him. Mm-hmm. So I was always really impressed right. by the sound, and you know. And then and then I heard Tommy Dorsey, right. and then that was kind of sealed the deal for me. You know, right. I, I wanted to be that. Yeah, because. He was a great player. Yeah. I wanted to ask you real quickly, just out of curiosity, the Lawrence Welk show, that was some audience back then, wasn't it? Oh, my goodness, yes. Because, I mean, there was obviously, there was a studio audience, right? Right. And that studio audience, what, there were maybe 250, 300 people in the studio audience? Approximately, yes. Okay. I mean, I'm just going by memory, because I remember a couple of times when they would actually show the studio audience. Um but as far as the audience, the viewing audience, it was one. It was on one of only three networks, mm-hmm. and it was a major show. I right. mean, in well, its day, and you started on ni- at nineteen six during nineteen sixty five. Um, it was a captive audience for that particular type of music, right? Uh, and presentation. Pretty much, except uh, back in those days, there was still pretty good uh, uh, number of, of variety shows on. You know, you still had. Uh, uh, Milton Burrow, right. and you still had uh, Carol Burnett. That's you know, true. Sonny like and Cher. Yeah, yeah Ed, so, Sol- Ed Sullivan was still on, right? Uh, at that time? Well, or was it was kind, kind of winding of, down? Yeah, that was yeah, toward the end of that. But uh, it was... Um, there were there was quite a bit going on at that at that time. But as time goes on, you're right, it became the only market. It was the only thing like it on the air. It was massive. Yeah, how yeah. big was the audience? Do you have any idea? Oh my goodness! Well, <laughs> it was obviously millions. Um, if you kind of look at at Lawrence's career, he he did territory bands. If you know what that is, back in the day when big bands were out traveling, they were called territory bands. Okay. And they go would would go from one town to another, mm-hmm. and they would follow one another. You know, because that was the that was the all the um, entertainment. In those days, that was before really uh, big radio. It was before television, you know. Mm-hmm. So people went out to dance and to hear live music. So that's how he got his start mm-hmm. and how he got his popularity. And then he didn't really hit it big till he retired. Did you guys know that's what it was called? Territory bands? I never heard of that. I, I'm not familiar with that term. No, see, that's why we've got Don on, so he can uh, enlighten us. <laughs> yeah, that's that's good information. Yeah, it's uh, pretty interesting. When he when he finally. Um, went to California, he had traveled all over the country and decided that's where I want to retire, mm-hmm. in Southern California. And the interesting thing is that um, he was a pretty young man at that time. He was, mm-hmm. uh, I would say, late 50s. And he'd made it 
uh, on territory bands, living out of buses and cars, and wow. you know, and he'd saved enough money to retire. When he got out to California, mm-hmm. his manager said, "Look." He said, uh, Lawrence, he says, why don't you just take a job? I'll get you a job here in town. Well, the guys get established, the guys in the band, because he had a whole band at that time. And he said, oh, okay. You know, so uh, that's when he got him a job at Lick Pier, which is in Santa Monica. Well, that very move Mm -hmm. turned into um, the kind of explosion of of the Lawrence Welk name, show, whatever you want to call it, because um, they started lining up down the street, you know, for for two or three nights a week. Just to see them in Santa Monica, right? Yeah, because people wanted to dance net. Well, it got so popular that pretty soon local television, KTLA Channel 5, came in, picked it up, and from then... Then Dodge, along with ABC, and this is what, what was it called, like the Dodge Dancing Hour or something? I forget what it what it was, but that was back in the fifties, right? And um, so he, you know, was just doing this kind of as a lark, but it became very lucrative, obviously. Yeah. So uh, then he started really making big money, and and then uh, then the show went color, right? And that's when you got involved. And that's when I joined. Right. When did Bobby join? Uh, he joined. Let me think. He went from <clears throat> the Mickey Mouse Club. That's right. You know, into um, into the Lawrence Welk Show, basically. Wow, right into it. Pretty much from the um, Mickey Mouse Club. Uh, well, not directly, but yes, pretty much so. And he joined. I'm trying to think when it was. It was probably, I want to say, late '50s, maybe early '60s. Well. That, because he was on the air uh, more than I was. Well, the times I've watched, um, I, I, I have to tell you, and I watched a ton of, of shows, I never saw the guy not smiling. He always <laughs> smiled, and he looked like he was seven feet tall. Yeah. So he was very tall, wasn't he? Not particularly. Really? But, but he, he stood very uh, erect. Yeah, he, erectly. he did. So, uh, yeah. He was, he was quite a guy. Did he ever not smile? I mean, when he was on camera all the time, when he was dancing, he was forever smiling. What about off camera? Was he still smiling? Did, what, you, what you saw is what you got. Really? That, that was Bobby, yeah. I had to yeah. ask. Yeah. That's one of the behind-the-scenes Ab- things absolutely. I always wondered about. <laughs> yeah. Now I know. Yeah. See, that's what Bill is known for, behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah, okay. He, he loves behind the scenes. Well, a lot of <laughs> people know charm, a lot of people know the usual stuff, you know, but just like you were telling us about territory bands, to us, to the three of us, that's kind of like behind the scenes as well because we weren't familiar with it. Yeah. But um, little tidbits of information that only you know, having been there, I just find it interesting. I think, I think we're going to have to come up with a sound effect a little stinger so that when Bill asks a behind-the-scenes question and you get an answer, it's like, <laughs> you know. so then the audience knows, like oh, wait, wait, that like was a behind-the-scenes <laughs> question. Well, I should go back like and listen to that. Like bulb coming on. Well, uh, no, I was going to say, like, like when, you, when you're watching good. TV like and, you know, and the, the TV's on in the background and you hear the little diddly, the, the, oh, the weather's on. You know, they have that little <laughs> special sound effect, you know, cluing you in that if you're not paying attention, tune in now because there's the weather. So we'll, you know, tune in. Oh, here's a, here's a special behind-the-scenes question. <laughs> The bill's asking, you know, like well, it's usually bum, bum, bum. <laughs> that's, that's a little trombone, too dramatic. That sounds like something bad about that. The trombones are always the villain. You know? <laughs> we'll, we'll turn that over. We'll turn that over to R and D and see if they can come up with something. That sounds great, Jeremy. All right, here we are, late morning, and I'm I'm smelling bacon yes, and bacon. other things. And I know I know you lured him in to the cafe this morning with the thought of, you know, getting yes, some food. Yes, I always food and, the guests with free food. And yet, food. And yet <laughs> the, yes. the first time in the history of the show, you didn't order anything before we started the oh show. What's God. going on? I was running is, late. I was picking up on? food for the cafe and making bank deposit for the symphony. So I was running late. So I wanted to, you know, get the show on the road. And so. I'd like to point this out. You did not, for the first time ever, order anything ahead of time. And for the first time ever, I had safety goggles. Yeah, the same a, show, the same time. It's That's just a weird. show of firsts. That's just crazy, Jeremy. Craziness. The show of firsts. Yes. And we have a, a Lawrence Welk alumni, celebrity, on with us. It's a first. You know, a lot of times people are on the show and they talk about earlier in their career, they start playing an instrument and there's a moment in time where they hear something, uh, their instrument of choice being played in a song and it captures their imagination. Did something like that happen to you early on? Well, when I first heard uh, Tommy Dorsey play Sentimental over you, 
uh, I was absolutely blown away. I just thought, you know, as a kid, you know, I'd never heard anything like that. And um, I thought, oh, I want to do that, you know? And uh, so I thought, okay. What do I have to do? Yeah. So I started taking lessons, and right. You know, so like, that was like your inspiration. That was my inspiration. Yes, exactly. All right. And then I think we actually have a clip of you playing. I'm getting some all over you with the um, Melbourne Swing Time Band. Yes, this was done a couple, three years ago, I guess. <laughs> I'm Getting Sentimental Over You by the Melbourne Swing Time Band a few years ago featuring a trombone solo with our guest for the hour, Don Staple. That's how we, uh, that's how we met Don, actually. That'll be later on in the interview. That's a really good story, actually. <laughs> the first time you called. Yeah. That was really great. So anyway, so you started the trombone, and then you were back in California. When I was uh, in the sixth grade, uh, I wasn't a very good student. And the teacher said to me, um, so I hear you, you really love playing the trombone. And uh, I'd been asked to go to the junior high school from elementary school to play with the orchestra and band there. Um, and I, that was really a big charge to me. And she said to me, well, if you don't learn your times tables uh, between now and the end of the year, you're going to spend the next year with me instead of going there. <laughs> So I was motivated to learn my times tables. <laughs> and um, so that was, I think, what motivated me in school then at that point, which uh, I'm a big advocate of, of music in the schools because I think it can change lives. There have been studies uh, that show education uh, and music go hand in hand and people that are involved intimately in music and have a passion for a particular instrument or singing and just love music, whether it's music theory or being a musician as well, they do better in, in their, in their um, studies. Well, it's, it's also uh, a discipline that teaches uh, that you get results from work and if you don't work, you don't get results and so that carries over into everything else. That's right. I went through uh, high school in Anaheim. Okay. And then um, I went on to UCLA. Okay. And graduated UCLA. And okay. The Bruins. The Bruins, absolutely, no Bruins. yes. And then uh, from that, I kind of became uh, an unemployed musician. Okay. <laughs> uh, freelancing and right. doing any number of things, which is another whole story. Right. But um, then the audition came up for the Lawrence Welk show. I'm sure our listeners are going to be really interested in the whole audition thing. Because a couple of shows back, we had Pat Hennessy on. Yes. And he was talking about how that's how he met you, because you were his teacher. Right. Was that before the Lawrence Welk show, or was it yes. during? The yes, I was, I was uh, teaching. Okay. Uh, I was teaching at uh, Long Beach City College okay. at the time, and he was a student there. Right, right. And uh, we became great friends because he was already a good trombone player. Right. So um, that was really a good relationship. And then right. after 
years and years, and we hooked up again. But I know it's a, it's amazing, really. It was is really a kind of blew me away. He sent me an email out of the blue after forty five years or something like that. Right. Do you remember me? I was da da da. And I said, absolutely. So I contacted him back, and he moved here. And when he retired, he moved here to Brevard. Right. And um, and about that time, I quit playing. So we never did get a chance to replay together. So was the audition, how was the audition posted? How did that come about for the Lawrence? Well, the Lawrence, well, yeah. well what had happened, um, Lawrence wanted a newer look to the band. Okay. So he let six people go. Wow. wow. That was a lot. Talk about cleaning house. Yeah. yeah. All right, get out of here. Yeah. Kind of. Well, if you need a band to lose weight, <laughs> that's <laughs> right. That's the way to do it. So um, I really, in the, at that time, had a lot of things going, and I wasn't really interested in the show. Right. Um, and at that time, I had gotten a different horn, mm-hmm. and I was studying privately with Byron Peebles at the uh, LA Philharmonic. Right. And I wanted to go into symphonic kind of playing. Oh, so you were thinking about going like more legit, yeah, rather than than, than what the commercial plan. Commercial. So um, a friend of mine uh, said, "Hey," he said, the, "They're having auditions and now. They had the auditions had been going on. They'd gone through dozens of trombone players already. Lawrence looking for the right person. Wow, I guess. Wow. And uh, so finally, uh, my former teacher, who was one of the original guys with the Glenn Miller band, mm-hmm. uh, Paul Tanner, right. called me and he says... Um, I That's just, who you studied with at UCLA, right? Yes. Paul Tanner? Okay. And he called me and he said, uh, look, he said, I just had a call from uh, Kenny Trimble, who at that time was the first trombone player with the Lawrence uh, uh, Welk show. And he said, uh, they're still auditioning guys. Mm-hmm. And why don't you go down? You know, I think you'd be perfect for the show. Right. So I said, okay. So I went down. And, of course, uh, it was one of those situations where there was a, an empty ballroom. Right. So it's real bouncy, loud, right. you right. know, in there. And the band was rehearsing for a television show. Right. And so the way he auditioned, you would sit in with a band and see how, if you could read. So you'd <laughs> sit in with the, re- in the rehearsal? In the rehearsal. Okay. And then, and then there was a whole panel down, uh, the production panel. Lawrence, the producer, you know, the choreographer, the... Uh, wardrobe people right. all, everybody you know and the technical staff were all seated at the table down in front of the band right so um i played with a band for a while and then um the contractor came up to me he said well lawrence would like to hear you play something i said okay fine so um i told the piano player you know a flat right uh, uh we'll do uh, i only have eyes for you right and um so I, at that time, there was playing on a big symphony horn. Yeah. Now, for anybody that understands the, right. the business, you know what I mean. It's not a, a small. What's How big is the, the big horn? I know you were talking about this a couple of shows back. Yeah, it's 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 you go by bore, so it's like a five forty four bore, whereas the normal horn for uh, commercial playing is about a five hundred bore. So a lot of air. Yeah. When you're nervous already, right. and you know you've got to dig deep to really. Put a lot of air through the instrument. It doesn't sound like a lot, but but in the scheme of things, it's so. I told the piano player four flats, right? And I played, you know, um, for for him. And um, I noticed that Lawrence, during this whole thing, had was sitting down at that table, you know, and his glasses were kind of, you know, down on his nose like this. And and uh, I got about halfway through it, and he looked up, and he. He listened to all the rest of the, through the, all the rest mm-hmm. of the piece. And uh, then he came up and said, sounds very good, my boy. He says, uh, where are you from? And I told him, well, Billings, Montana. Oh, Billings. I was there many, many times. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, uh, it sounds very good. I really like uh, the way this sounds. And I said, well, thank you very much. So I didn't think much about it, you know. So uh, after the uh, rehearsal, the contractor came up and he said, Lawrence would like you to do a couple of shows. You know, I said, oh, great. You know, Mm -hmm. so I, you know, went down to the show and all this kind of stuff. And, and of course, in those, in those years, when it first went color, uh, we all had what was called popsicle suits. You know, we had popsicle suits. Some crazy outfits. one (laughs) One of each color, you know, I mean, it was just amazing. So... Uh, and since I wasn't actually a member, then the wardrobe lady would have to come out and she'd pin these things all up on me and all that kind of stuff, right. you know. And um, so I did it one show and then I went to the next rehearsal, went to the next show. Nobody told me not to come. Right. So I just kept coming, you know. 
So I figured, well, you know, they'll tell me if they don't want me to come. I'm not worried about it. You know, right. I figured I get, I do. In those days with the union, if you did a couple of shows, you know, you, then you were in for 13 weeks. I was going to ask oh. you about union and yeah. about representation. Did you have representation back then? Oh, yeah. At that point? Absolutely. Okay. And so, you know, uh, that was the rule. If you did a, uh, uh, a, a, well, at that time it was a network show. If you do a live show, uh, two out of, this, out of the cycle of 13, after you've done two, then you get the whole cycle. So um, I thought, great, you know, I've got mm -hmm. two shows under the bag. At least I got one cycle in now, you know. Right, right, <laughs> so, that's good. But meaning what? That means that you get paid for all 13 shows regardless? Well, yeah, because they, they, at that time, they can't, by the union, they can't, can't fire you. So you were in the band for 13 shows then? Yeah. I want you to the first two. Yeah. Okay. So then I started playing, you know, and everything was fine, going, going well. So pretty soon the wardrobe lady comes out. She says, you got this job or not? And I said, well, Rose, I don't know. I'm not rocking the boat here. You know, I said, it's going good. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Well, she was not fine with me. I'm tired of pinning up these suits on you every week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I bet that was interesting, too, if they have to pin them on you, but still you have to have enough flexibility so you could play. Yeah, right. Yeah, she would take them in in the back, you know, and stitch them and then, you know, like cuff Basically, them. Basically, like, stitch them enough just so... It yeah. would stay together during the show. Yeah, so she went to the contractor. And, and of course, by them, I guess it was out of everybody's mind. So the contractor said, oh, yeah, yeah. He says, uh, well, I'll go talk to Lawrence. So he went in and talked to Lawrence. And uh, he comes out a few minutes later, and he says, you got the job, kid. Ah. Go get your suits. <laughs> wow. So, oh, okay. Wow, that's great. <laughs> that is, that is, that's quite an honor. That's, that's yeah. a, And that yeah. was the day you sold out, man. You sold out. Right. You played on yeah. the Lawrence Welk shows, the first trombone. Yeah, if you have great, to sell out, I mean, that's yeah. the that's the that's way a, to do it. That's, that's a great, great. story. Yeah. I, you, I don't think you'd ever told me that before. And the funny thing was that, uh, you know, I've, I've told this story many times that, that I <laughs> I was not really even, wasn't really hired. I just kept kept showing up, you know, and it's like... Uh, you think you got the job because you're playing the big horn, maybe, on the audition? Well, I don't know. Because it would have been a different sound well, than... then the contractor, uh, because of the recording and everything, he right. came to me and he says, you know, you got to get a horn that's more like the other guys because he said you're covering everything up. You right. Know, when you're... <laughs> right, but maybe that's what made you, like in the audition, maybe that's kind of... Because well, you probably, yeah, you know, the, it's a bigger sound. The whole room was so live. It was right. an empty ballroom. Right. You know, so. Well, it worked. Yeah, right. So it was interesting. And then and then Lawrence always had a hard time with my name. He could never remember my name because at the same time, another guy joined a sax player by the name of Bob Davis. Right. Who lives here in, in uh, Fort Pierce, actually. Oh, really? Okay. Really fine saxophone player. And we look kind of alike. Yeah. And, um, I mean, we could have been brothers, you know, right. because we looked so much alike. So Lawrence would get us confused. Right. And uh, so the way that Bob would always know, because every, every Saturday night at the ballroom where we had to play dances, uh, we'd have to stand in line and get our checks. Right. So Lawrence gave, one night gave uh, Bob my check. And yeah. Bob walked out and said, wait a minute, this isn't right. You know, and then he looked at the name, saw it was me because Bob hit all the doubles. Was his check too much or too little? <laughs> too little. Because <laughs> the sax players, they all had doubles. Because he played flute clarinet oh so it's snacks. not by the hour it's how many instruments you play both i mean it's wow. so much an hour yeah for the first instrument then if you have a double it's on top of that and then another double is is another diminished amount so the guys that had doubles made a lot of money right because they have all the different instruments exactly yeah right so how um so often did the the band rehearse and then when did you record it because it was aired on saturday night we did the uh, rehearsal on, on Thursdays, mm -hmm. and uh, that was usually when they did a little bit of the uh, pre-recording for uh, the production numbers where people were dancing or... So these were dress rehearsals on Thursday? Dress rehearsals, yeah. Did, did the dress rehearsals have a live audience? Well, if this wasn't dress rehearsal, excuse me. This, this was the, what we called, rehearsal day and taping day. Uh, that was where they would run all the, the numbers in the show, program them, in other words... You know, things like, well, guys, we've got to play that up a step, down a step, half a tone, whatever, you know, kind of on the fly, which is another whole story. But anyway, um, that took about eight hours. We were in a studio. 
and uh, so they. So would, you're in the studio like pretty much all day on Thursday. On Thursday, yeah, and okay. and that we would pre-record and do uh, rehearse the numbers, program the numbers, and uh, they decide what the show was going to be and time it and all that. So then. Dress rehearsal day and taping day were the same day. So dress rehearsal was like a matinee show, and then recording was in the evening? The rehearsal day uh, and the taping day was about eight or nine hours. Then that was like and the then, following Tuesday. And then the following Tuesday was a taping day. That was 10 hours. Wow, that's a so long day. We would rehearse all day long, you know, and they'd block all the, the camera shots and do all that kind of stuff. And then... Uh, at the end of the day, uh, they would bring an audience in, okay. and we'd do a dress rehearsal. So that was the first, you know, rundown of the show. And the interesting thing about that show that people don't understand, a lot of people don't, that was live to tape. Mm. If the something went bad, it was bad. They did not edit it out. Exactly. Right. It was. It was uh, just as it was. So. Well, if people want a, um, an example of live to tape going bad, just go back and listen to some of our older episodes. <laughs> <laughs> you are correct, sir. So they they bring the the show or the audience dress rehearsal audience in. We do the whole show, right, front to back, make sure that everything was you know adjusted and all that. Those people would leave. We'd go out and have dinner, yeah. come back, and do the, do the show. And then that was over usually about 10 o'clock wow. at night. That's a really and long day. Yeah, it was, it was 10 to 10. Yeah. That is wow. really something. Now, did uh, You had uh, rehearsal on Thursday and then taping on Tuesday. Tuesday. Were there any formal rehearsals between Thursday and Tuesday, or was it independent study? It was independent study, yeah. which Lawrence uh, did wisely, so he didn't have to pay for it, of course. <laughs> of course, yes. <laughs> Don, I would like to take this uh, um, conversation in kind of another direction. Okay. We've been talking about musicianship and kind of the business behind the scenes and you know the organization of it all. I think that's very, very interesting. Here is what I was thinking, you know? I remember as a kid watching this, and it was... A family event because again back then you didn't have all these smartphones and computers and you know five six hundred a thousand channels on TV you had three and it was a family event for us sitting and watching the Lawrence Welk show I mean we would even plan dinner around it that kind of a thing mm -hmm. and one thing I really liked about the show it was every bit the family that I think we were and watching the show well i really appreciated the fact that it was a family event and whether it was or not that's what it looked like if you could maybe talk a little bit about you know what the family um experience was like or the family environment that appeared to to be taking place on the show was that real or was that kind of staged well um i'll tell you a little welk story just to, to kind of put on on top of that, um, Lawrence <laughs> would come up to the band, and he was always concerned about musicians because he was never quite trusted musicians because they they would always do something that he didn't expect. And um, so his his uh, advice to us is, boys, when you're up there on the bandstand, he says, look like you're having fun, but don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> Are you serious? Oh, that's serious. great. <laughs> a one -a and a two -a and a three. -a. Right. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, uh, but in answer to your, to your question, really, um, it was really a great bunch of people. Everybody got along great. You know, uh, the contractor was another story. We won't go into that. But uh, Lawrence uh, was Lawrence. He was very Germanic. He was. Uh, he knew exactly what he wanted. He and he would not, never deviate from what his audience expected. And um, and that's the way it was. And as long as you were part of that flow, you know, you didn't take it off your own direction. Uh, then you were fine. The people who got in trouble with him were the ones that thought that they knew more about the show than he did and wanted to do it their way, and that was always a problem. Well, but, 
like the the singers, for example. Okay, mm-hmm. the musicians are one thing. I understand that, and I, I look at everybody as being on the same level. That's just how I look at it. And I know behind the scenes that that um, you even have, like in the symphony orchestra, for example, the strings. You know, they have a certain personality all their own, and and yeah, they, they kinda, just think they're in charge. <laughs> they, they think they're in charge, like violinists. You talk to violinists, and they are elite. Um, you know, and then of course you have the trombones, and you have you know Pete, the harpist. God help us all. The harpist—they're in their own world. But um, you seriously, got this all figured out. Don't I you? do. <laughs> I, I get the whole thing. Believe me, I'm getting up to speed on every bit of it. Uh, <clears throat> but the singers—I remember, like the guys and the girls would be paired up. They would have little things that they did, little, not skits, not so much skits, but musical numbers where they would actually have them paired up and maybe they'd be singing solos at particular times throughout a particular song. And they just appeared like they were either married or dating. Did any of that happen or was it just for show? Uh, actually, some of that did happen. Okay. In fact, uh, Guy Hovis and Ron English uh, did get married, and they sang together on the show. Um, there were some marriages on the show, not necessarily singers to singers, but uh, singers to musicians. Uh, there was some of that. Um, there, I, I think it was just a professional thing to do. I mean, the the whole thing was set up like if it was a love song or, you know, if it was a whatever the music dictated, it would kind of drive that relationship, you know, at at the time. And and, but like I say, everybody got along great, you know, all the the singers, the musicians and whatnot, some sometimes too well. Uh, (laughs) But it was it was a um, a real good feeling from that perspective. And as far as the performances, um, I, I think it's just, if it appeared that way, then I think that was probably just the professional way to present it. You know, it was more, was that was driven by, like, as an example, the champagne lady, Norman Zimmer, would be, uh, uh, would sing a lot of tunes with Jimmy Roberts uh, because their voices were kind of compatible. And they always sang tunes like they were in love, you know, or whatever. Sure. And so um, I think that's why, you know, it appeared appeared that way. Well, it did. And it was so believable. I'm going to tell you, my mother, I remember her thinking, oh, yeah, no, it's like one big family. You know, there's all yeah. kinds of people on the show that are married and this and that. And it just, I was convinced. So I had to ask. Well, I think it sounds like it was kind of like a big family. It was, but he just said it wasn't. Well, they were looking like they were having a lot of fun, but not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. that's amazing yeah. to me because yeah. I'm telling you, I always, I was just convinced you were going to say, oh yeah, a lot of the guys were, were, you know, part of Lawrence Welk's family. I mean, that's really how it came across. Well, and then if you, if you ever watched any of the Christmas shows, sure, uh, it was always all the families of musicians and singers and everybody were included on the show. And then those kids that were involved in music or whatever, or entertaining, would also perform on the show. That's right. As yeah. my daughters did several times. Mm-hmm. And um, so um, I think that probably kind of goes along with kind of building this concept of the fact that this is a big family, you know, and that whole thing. Because um, in a lot of ways it was. You know, I mean, you're with these people so many hours, you know, sometimes more than you are with your own family uh, because of, of what um, what it requires, particularly if we went on the road or something like that, you know, on road trips. But um, it was, I think, I think it was, uh, it was a, it was kind of a nice uh, serendipity, I guess you might say, about uh, the spirit of the people and the type of music and the uh, the spirit of the show that Lawrence envisioned all the time. You know, wanted want to be a family show, something that everybody would tap their toe to or dance to or, you know, kids would enjoy as well as grandma and grandpa, you know, that kind of stuff. Space Coast Symphony Orchestra would like to take this moment to say thank you to our many sponsors, helping fund classical music in the community, including the following. 
Cedric C. Cheney, Excellence in Dental Health Care, where education, experience, and technology come together to provide excellence in dental health care. Just visit ShaneeDental.com. Paul Tanner said it to me, I guess, best I can say. He said, you know, he said, uh, when I took the job and got on the show, and he was my mentor teacher, he said, uh, you're going to be remembered on this show, and this will follow you the rest of your life the way Glenn Miller did with me. And I said, no, come on. He said, I'm serious. He says, mark my words. He says, this will be part of your life from this point forward. And he was right. And, and he was right in more ways than one. You will never have an opportunity. I don't care who it is, what genre of music or entertainment. There will never be an opportunity for that kind of captive audience again. I think you're right. You know, it's, uh, and the thing that int- interests me is that the show keeps going on. I kept thinking all those people are going to die. And there's not going to be anybody to watch the show. But you know what? It just self-perpetuates. There's more and more people that keep watching the show. You know, it's like interesting. It just, I guess it's so unique now, you know, that uh, the people that remember those old tunes and whatnot, maybe, maybe it will at some point disappear. <laughs> You know, but it seems to be yeah. just keep go, goes on and on. You know. Well, it reminds people of a simpler time, and you were you know part of the Lawrence Welk show, but you were part of the TV industry too. And back then, I mean, that was it. That was those were the heydays. I mean, like yeah. Johnny Carson, right? The biggest commanded the biggest audience, the biggest television audience. Nobody does that today right. because it's so fragmented. That's right. my point. It's so fragmented. That's true. So, uh, in more ways than one, he was yeah. right. Yeah. The dubious yeah. distinction, it was such a part of the fabric of the culture that over the last several decades, it's this combination of both the most loved and lampooned show. <laughs> Absolutely. It probably is. I mean, don't you think? It's true. I mean, it's uh, there's been a lot of like, you know, it's such a part of American culture. Well, Lawrence would say, you know... Nobody likes the Lawrence Welk show, but everybody watches it. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Well, so I, I give you an example. I uh, was uh, telling somebody who we were interviewing today, you, and explaining, you know, that you were on the Lawrence Welk show, and they said, "Well, what's that?" And I said, "Okay, have you ever seen <laughs> Saturday Night Live, where they do a recurring sketch about this, you know, a variety show with singers and dancers?" She says, oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Well, okay, that is basically a spoof of the Lawrence Welk show, which was probably the most popular variety show on television for, what, two decades at least? Well, it's been on the air for 50 years. Yeah. Right, but I'm just saying at the peak of its popularity, oh, yeah. it probably had 20 years of being oh, about the most popular show absolutely. on TV. Because he was got off the air, like in the rural purge, you know, when they got rid of Hee Haw and... You know, and got him off the network, and then he started went his own production company, right? And went syndication. I mean, I think that's fascinating. Well, uh, that's really an interesting story. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's... what happened was at that time we were at ABC, right? And um, and it was a very popular show, and um, at that time the Lennon sisters went to Lawrence and said, "Lawrence, we'd like a raise." Well, he went into orbit. Um, <laughs> But you can imagine, back in those days, the, the Lennon sisters were making absolute group scale. Now, at that time, group scale for a singer, I think, was in the neighborhood of $150 a show. Mm. And the musicians made over 200 a show. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a whole lot to ask. Let's say we're the biggest draw on the show. So Lawrence absolutely refused. And the girl said, well, Lawrence, um, and they'd already had some things lined up because they were going to go with Jimmy Durante uh, at that time. And they were going to Vegas, you know, and they had several things lined up to do in case he he uh, reneged, which he did. Well, then ABC panicked and um, and told Lawrence, look, you got to keep the Lennons on the show. So the, we'll pay the difference to keep them on the show. Says nobody tells me how to run my show. That was his his answer. The show got canceled. Oh boy! Within one week, we didn't even miss a rehearsal. We were on syndication. That's how fast they moved. Wow! So that's it was really Don, amazing. That is Don, amazing. Don Federson, who was the producer at that time, 
and uh, Sam Lutz, who was his manager, uh, put together the syndication in a week. Now, I think they already saw it coming, obviously. It doesn't sound like it was just based on the Lennon sisters, but it sounds like that's what pushed them over the edge. Right. That was that was it. And Not to diminish the popularity of the show. If it weren't so uh, hugely popular and they weren't resourceful, it couldn't have come together. Right. But it also happened at a very unique time historically mm-hmm. where uh, the, the networks used to control all the content exactly. and FCC had just recently passed a rule that says they have to give a certain amount of time back to the local affiliates to plug this programming and there wasn't a lot of syndication options at the time so this happened about the same time that this you know hole opened up in all these uh, local stations uh, a calendar and so it was only then that they were able to say hey we'll We'll move it from, you know, this time to this time. You won't miss the show more than, like, I think, one week. Yeah, right. Well, didn't it so, even run on, like, the same time slot in a lot of um, markets? I think it, it stayed on Saturdays at that yeah. time. It, it, it stayed on a, yeah. a, a Saturday schedule. Yeah. Uh, for a time, it went to Sundays. Mm-hmm. It may have been right at that beginning. Uh, but it it uh, it wound up being Saturdays yeah, most, that's most a, always. That's really amazing. Yeah, it was. I mean, I was shocked. I thought we were all out of work. And it may have lasted a little bit longer, but the Lennon sisters thing—it just seemed like the right time to to go ahead and call it yeah. quits. So what yeah. was yeah. that? Nineteen seventy-three. Right in that. Yeah, yeah. right in that. Yeah, area. Then the show went for another ten years, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, till like what eighty-three? Uh, actually, eighty-two. Eighty-two. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, he retired in eighty-two. Um, so then you were out of work in eighty. <laughs> then we were out of work. Yeah, but we had a couple years of reruns, so that yeah. was good. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Like you said, it's still running. Still running, amazingly. Do you still get anything now that the show's still on the air? Do you get royalties or anything or no? Yes, there's. Uh, it's not a lot. You but know, you still, so that's but, good. But there's, yeah, there's still a, a royalty check that comes in. You know. So Saturday you flip on the TV. Oh, hey, there's another seventeen cents. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. I just think about so many things that were so fun about the show. One of the things that we did uh, in traveling, Lawrence, Lawrence's real, real talent was in front of a live audience, you know, where he'd be out with the band, he'd be dancing with the ladies in a, in a big arena. Right. 10,000 people, some of the shows we right. played to. And he was in his element. Now, he had a lot of trouble on TV. I mean, they had to have cue cards for him. He, he just struggled, you know, with trying to announce a show and everything because it was not, not the same thing. Right. But you put him in front of a, a live audience like that, and he was amazing. And then he would get so excited because it paid a lot of money. I mean, he made a lot of money on these shows. You have right. six, 7,000 people. Right. We got, I'm going to forget this, one year, we got on the a bus the following of one of those big, big shows, and he was thrilled. They'd made so much money the day right. before. Selling programs, selling records, selling, right. you know, the whole thing. Selling everything. Selling everything. So we're on the, it's about seven in the morning, we're all kind of like blurry-eyed, you know, and he's just tickled as he can be, and he gets on, he's an early riser anyway. Right. And he was walking up down the aisle, thank you very much, boys and girls, for doing a good job. He says, the show is going very, very good. He says, I'm very happy with, with everything. He said, uh, and I've been talking with my promoter, Mr. Lon Varnell, and, and we're talking about what could happen next year. He said, uh, we're thinking because the show is so successful, that maybe the show will go to Europe, you know? And, and then he said, maybe the year after that, we'll go around the world. And then maybe the year after that, we'll go somewhere else. (laughs) I used to like eating baked chicken, okay, butter beans, some bread, maybe some potatoes, maybe not, with the Lawrence Welk Show. That's right. That's what I used to like. There you go. I got my dvr set you know every sunday or saturday night you know i got it recording so <laughs> what was your favorite dish while what? watching the lawrence welk show oh, i don't, I don't come remember. on you like food you, you gotta be kidding anything. me and my my mom wasn't that good of a cook but you so. didn't have any favorite <laughs> no? no i was just right. we were just lucky to have something to eat so okay aluminum top hungry man dinners <laughs> mashed potatoes and meatloaf are you being serious yeah really Wow. I remember. Did you guys have the TV trays? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, come Who on. Didn't? Who, Who didn't? I was like, did you have socks in your drawer? Of course we had TV trays. <laughs> that was an American institution, the I know, TV we had tray. TV yeah. trays, too. It was great. It was great. You know, Everybody had their own TV tray. It was great. Yeah. It was a great thing. Huh. So then, um, so 
So what'd you end up doing after the after Lawrence Welk show? Well, uh, I had uh, gotten into several business things. One one uh, which was uh, selling annuities uh, mm-hmm. to teachers, mm-hmm. um, and that's how I met my wife. Okay, uh, she was my trainer. Okay, and um, and she's still trying. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> but, how you met Marsha. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I wonder and, how that. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so uh, that was in around 80, I think when I was doing that, it was around 83 or 4. That's when and, you still lived in California? Yeah. Okay. And uh, so I became a million-dollar producer with with uh, that company. Oh. And um, so we then, I won a trip to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. So we went to Hawaii, and um, I had a... Uh, conversation with a guy over there and his wife who owned a big company in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And they said uh, they would love to have us come to Seattle to take over their business because they wanted to retire. Mm-hmm. But wow. And at that time, I had just had a conversation with Disney. Right. And uh, they wanted me to come to Florida, Disney, to, to work in entertainment, uh, in management. Uh, so I had this decision to make. Right. Well, am I going to go you know, clear across the country to <laughs> to Florida, or am I going to go clear to the north or northwest? Right. Um, I would like to take a shot at, at guessing which you did, which one you did. You're so smart, Bill. <laughs> Disney. Disney. Yes. You're, yes. You're just, so smart, Bill. Just, just. Uh, <laughs> that sounds like it was the redo of that uh, moment you had years earlier, where you were going to sell out, and which direction were you going to go? You going <laughs> to take the corporate route, or you go back into entertainment? Right. I always tell the story on myself um, that, you know, I, when I first, my first very first job was uh, when I was in high school mm-hmm. in Anaheim. I went to work at Disney. What'd uh, you do? I was a, uh, a busboy okay. at Carnation Plaza Gardens, and I wanted the job. So you could be- watch the big bands. So I could watch the big bands and all the musicians that would come and go. Yeah, that was and, really amazing Oh, it was back then. incredible. So <clears throat> then I leave that, and I go to work for Lawrence Welk. Right. Okay, and then I leave Lawrence Welk and I go to work for Disney again. Right. So I kind of call it my whole career is going from one Mickey Mouse outfit to another. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. I didn't right. see that coming. That's yeah. good. I like that. It's full circle. You've, yeah. you've come full right. circle. That's great. One thing our listeners may not be aware of back then at the Carnation Plaza, I mean, they had every big band that oh, was anybody. Absolutely. Was incredible. going through Disneyland. Because when incredible. I was in the All American College Band. You know, I played at Disneyland. That's what we would do every night after work. We'd go over to the Carnation, you know, and watch the big bands. Sure. I saw everybody. I saw Count Basie, uh, you know, everybody. And Dr. Hennessy was in that he same band in, in, a in, different, in Florida. In Florida. You know, a college band. Right. How great year. is that? But it was That's amazing, neat. the bands that were through there. Oh, I think there are probably even more bands in California. Oh, because, yeah. Because, you it know, was, there's more going every, on. Every big band you can imagine that was still going in those years. Yeah, because this I was mean, like in the early 80s. And then I started subbing with some of those bands. I, I subbed with uh, Tex Beneke, you know, yeah. which was a Glenn Miller band at that time. Right. And uh, so I, I was started to play at Plaza yeah. Gardens in yeah. my professional life, you know. Yeah. And um, so it was... It was a... It's a very interesting career in in some respects. Yeah, I mean, they didn't, and they don't do that anymore, probably, do they? Or? No. But no. I, I got to tell you, I think it's really great that you guys have so much in common, and Pat Hennessy, who's not here. It just makes for a very interesting talk show. Well, yeah. that's what, you know, we try to make things interesting, you know, in spite of ourselves. <laughs> you don't so. have to. With this with this kind of information and history, you do not have to try to make it. It just is. It's yeah. very interesting. I think we're going to do another clip of yours, I think. Oh, really? Well, yeah. What was the one? Too Little Time from the Glenn Miller story. All right. That's the one that we had talked about, Too Little Time from the Glenn Miller yeah. story. That was one of your inspirations too, right? I saw that uh, when I was, well, I was 14 years old mm-hmm. when I saw that. And um, and Jimmy I'd, Stewart's Glenn Miller, right? Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, that was the title song that I had it arranged for, for a trombone. Oh, that's great. The song was not a trombone solo. It was a title song. Okay, I got you. Uh, but uh, I loved the tune, right. and so I, I just had it arranged. Well, see, well, there you go. <laughs> Thank you. 
Um, Don, we kind of brought it up at the beginning of the show. It's first Friday Fizz Quiz. So Eric has some questions. And, I do um, have some questions. Just to clarify the rules here. Why don't you clarify the rules? Uh-oh, there's rules. On the first <laughs> Friday of the month, on the Space Coast Symphony's Facebook page, three questions will be posted. That's Friday. We will accept answers over the course of the weekend, and all answers that come in before midnight Sunday will be tabulated, and of those people answering all correctly, we will take one winner at random, and they will win two free flex tickets, and we will announce their name on next week's show. Yes, and what's amazing to me is you just went over all of those regulations or rules without reading a thing off the top of your head that's great you know i uh i don't have a lot of talents but uh the ones that i have are really good <laughs> mine like a bear trap Ma- really. making up rules on the fly is one of them <laughs> so where are the questions all right the first question is which one of our guests did dr patrick hennessy take trombone lessons with all right so that's question number one okay question number one Question number two. Question number two. Which professional baseball team drafted Michael Fee? That's a deep cut. Hmm. Question uh, you're, number you're, two. You're, you're going you're gonna to make people go back and listen to That's last exactly week's my show. Point. You actually have to listen to the shows to get the answers That's to That's good questions. thinking, Eric. I like that. Nothing yes. gets in, yes. nothing gets out. And then question number three. Question number three. Which Chicago radio program did the Tuba Brothers, were they a guest of? Aha. Also a deep cut. Uh, yeah, right. they got to go to the Wayback Machine to get that one. So you're going to have to go back in time. If you're a fan of the show, you will know these answers. Otherwise, you may have to review them. So that's your three questions for the uh, Friday Fizz Quiz. The Space Coast Symphony Orchestra would like to take this moment to say thank you to our many sponsors, helping fund classical music in the community, including the following. When your heart's on the line, choose nationally accredited care. Wusthof Medical Center, Rockledge. This has been some show. I think this could be the best show ever. It is. You always say that, but I, I really think this is. Well, Bill, I think you should uh, probably think about putting your safety glasses back in as we, uh, uh, we're going to have to bring this uh, show in for a safe landing here. We're heading into the wind, boys. <laughs> All right. This is Bill Trudeau. I'm Eric Lee. This is Jeremy Hickman with our special guest for the hour. Don Staples. Reminding you, as always, we'll, we'll see you at the show. You've been listening to Maestros On Air, brought to you by the Space Coast Symphony Orchestra. Remember, you can support the symphony in many ways, including a visit to Maestros Cafe, located just inside the main entrance to the Brevard Central Library and Reference Center, 308 Forest Avenue, Cocoa, Florida. Maestro's Cafe serves a variety of coffee and other drinks, as well as breakfast and lunch selections, and is open most days from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. with extended hours on Tuesday and Thursday, closed Sunday. For more information about the symphony or upcoming concerts, like us on Facebook. Or visit our webpage at spacecoastsymphony.org. And remember, as always, we'll see you at the show. A Peak Velocity production.